Well, at this time, we're going to get ready to receive our tithes and offerings. So ushers, if you could please prepare for that. And you know what's so amazing is, uh, like we said earlier, you know, camps are coming up. And I love camps. I love our summer camps. I love our youth camps. Because it is an awesome joy to see what God does in the lives of the young people. And the reason why that's so important for me is because, because it's summer, uh, Katie and my, Katie, my wife, we're looking at probably maybe August or even July. We're expecting our twins, a boy and a girl, to be here. And it's just an awesome opportunity to just, it's just great knowing that, you know, our kids are continuing to learn about Jesus. And it's because of people who give to the church and give to what the Lord is doing. And you know what's, what's so amazing is that one of my favorite parables in the, in the, in the Bible is uh, in Matthew 25. And I love it because Jesus is talking to his disciples and, and Jesus always talks in parables. And, and so he says, it's, it's the parable of the talents or, 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 or gold bags or money. And what's so amazing, I love the first sentence that it says. It says, the master, the master came to his servants and gave out of his wealth. He had three servants, and he gave to his three servants out of his wealth different talents. One he gave five, the other he gave three, and the, the last he gave one. And, and what I love about it is, is that first sentence that says, the master gave out of his wealth. See, the truth is, everything that we have is from his wealth. And what's so amazing is that just like the first two servants, the, the one that he gave five, the one he gave three, they took those talents and they did something with it. And what's so amazing is, as they did something with it, they actually multiplied what, what the master had given them. And at the very end, what's so amazing is when the master comes back, the servants go to the master and say, Master, here, you entrusted us with this, and now I have this much. And they give it back to the master. And what I love about it is the master looks at his servants and says, well done, good and faithful servants. You know what's so amazing is that what, everything we have, because it comes from God, when we invest, when we give it back to him, he continues to do great things about it, with it. He changes lives for all of eternity. And we get to be a part of that. Now, you might be visiting us for the very first time. And if that's you, we want to just let you know that don't feel obligated to give this morning. In fact, receive this message to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you're visiting us from another church. And we want to encourage you to give wherever you regularly attend church services. But if you call New Hope your home church, as you, call, as you come here and you, get, uh, you grow and you get fed with the love of Jesus, would you know that as we continue to give to him, he's going to continue to reach people far from him, and we get to partner with it. We get to partner with him as he does it. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray for our tithes and offerings this morning? Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we thank you so much for all the great things that you're doing, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you're our master, that you give to us everything that we have out of your wealth. And Lord, what a joy it is that we get to give back to you, Lord. And as we give back to you, Lord, we know that you're going to do great and powerful things with it because you are a great and powerful God. And so, Lord, this morning, as we, as we give your tithes and offerings, Lord, I pray for the hearts of those who give, that as we give with a joyful and cheerful heart, Lord, we do so knowing that you're going to reach people and that you're going to change their lives for all of eternity. And, Lord, we get to be a part of that. Thank you so much, Lord, for the love that you have for each and every one of us. Thank you for allowing us to partner with you. Thank you for giving to us everything we have 
Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we pray for all these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Ben. I saw you guys outside. You were, you were serving ice cream and boba tea. Yeah, and slush. And slush. And, and uh, I'm going to explain to them what that's for because I know you guys are getting ready for camp. Yep. So thank you for doing that. All right. And a lot of, all the proceeds go towards scholarships for many of our children who are not able to pay for camp. So thank you for investing in the next generation in that kind of way. Uh, when they first told me about that, I said, you know what? Serve people and God will always provide. So it's summertime. We wanted to do something special for us uh, in that kind of way because everything we do here, every single thing we do here is attached to a soul. Everything. Everything from our parking lot and, and uh, Uncle Donald painting the lines, you know, just the parking lot lines so that we don't park crooked. Well, sometimes I park crooked, but it keeps us within a certain square or rectangle. Those, it's not just so that we can park. It's because someone is going to know Jesus Christ or come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. We have our fellowship hall, people running cameras and our multimedia people, nursery and those who are on the other side with our children. Everything we do is always attached to a soul of a person so that we never forget that we're not just doing stuff. We are doing something eternal. So for those of you who serve and, and when you give in this kind of way, know that at the end of that, someone is going to say yes to Jesus Christ. And that's an eternal decision that no amount of service or finances or resources can amount to someone's salvation. That's a, that's a, a priceless situation. And God sent his one and only son to die so that we could have this, this relationship with him. That's why we're calling this series The Family of God, that God wants us included in his family. But for some reason, not everyone understands that, and not everyone wants to be in the family of God. And for some people, they just don't know that they're that valuable to God, so they never come to know him. And many people, for whatever reason, just don't want to be in the family of God. But God wants us to be in his family, so much so that when he sent Jesus Christ, it wasn't just to die for our sins. It was so that we could have a restored relationship with him because we have this broken relationship with God due to sin. So now when Jesus comes and dies for our sin, now we have access back to God. And he wants to restore this relationship with him because that's why he created us. So when we talk about being restored for greatness, we're restored not so that we can just feel good about ourselves or that God saved us or forgave us, it's so that this relationship with him can be restored and then our relationships with one another can be restored. That's what greatness looks like. Greatness in the world can look like being rich, having a high position, or inventing something or doing something of value in this world. But when it comes to God, and he looks at our relationships. Relationships is what will last in eternity, in heaven. Everything here on this earth will fade away, the Bible says. But this relationship that we have with each other, with God, that is the relationship that he's looking at. And that's why he restores us unto greatness. Not to do great things, which can be a part of it, but he's looking at our relationships. How great are your relationships? That's being restored unto greatness. And then out of these relationships, we do great things. No sense do something great, but we have no relationship with people. There's no connection. We're just an alone person or someone that just isolates themselves from other people. 
So what God does is he gives us a way back to him so that we're restored to him, so that we can be restored with one another. When we were growing up, we always fought with either my cousins or my siblings. And maybe you grew up in that kind of situation too where you had your relatives around or or your, your siblings and you would fight all the time. And there was this one time I fought with my cousin because we were playing soccer and I, I didn't know anything about soccer. I only, I knew, I knew this much about soccer, that you're supposed to kick the ball and you cannot use your hands, which is, I mean, if you're a soccer player and you can run and kick the ball, that is unbelievable. That is, that's talent. As we're playing, my cousin kicks the ball and I try to block it, but it, it grazes my hand and I keep running. So I get the ball and I'm dribbling the ball down to my goal, and I'm about to score, and I hear him yell to me, cheater. Now, I do not like winning if cheating is involved. So I stop, and I said, what? Now, we're about seven, eight years old. So he said, cheater. I said, I didn't cheat. What do you mean I cheat? He said, yeah, you blocked it with your hand. I said, I didn't block it with my hand. He said, it hit your hand. I was like, it didn't hit my hand. It grazed it. Yeah, you can't use your hands. I was like, I'm not using my hands. So we're coming closer and closer together. And all the other cousins and, you know, all the other friends, they're kind of gathering around. So it's like, fight, fight, fight. So we got closer together. He swings. He misses. I kick. I miss. So they're trying to hold us. And you know when people are holding you, you become tougher? (laughs) So so we're trying to fight. And then uh, as the day goes by, we're hanging around with each other because we're playing sports. He gets his radio, and back then, we had these huge radios called a boom box. And it took four or eight D batteries. So the radio died because the cassette, you know, had the cassette tape in there. And it's like, so it died. So we all scramble, go to our houses looking for D batteries. So we get the batteries. He's trying to put the batteries in. He's doing it wrong. I said, no, you got to flip it the other way. He said, what do you mean flip it the other way? I said, yeah, the, you see the, the, the plus and the minus? Yeah, the back goes there. Look at the picture. So he says, well, you do it. So I put it in, and we instantly became friends because we both got the radio to work. Now, when you're enemies and you're fighting, but then you become friends, don't you become like best friends? And maybe just for a short time, but now you're like so friendly to each other. From enemies to best friends. That's what a restored relationship looks like. Sometime after that, I had another cousin. And we got into a fight. It seems like I'm the common denominator. So we got into a fight. I just realized that now. So we got into a fight. And his dad comes and he says, hey, break it up. And he tells me, hey, you ever touch my son again, I'm going to lick you. So I'm thinking that's uncle, right? Uncle can do that. So he said, you need to say I'm sorry. And then we said sorry. And then we were like best friends. From enemies to best friends. That's what a restored relationship looks like. Some of you know the story of when Heidi and I first met. I was 12 and she was 13. She thought I bumped her at a school dance. She was going to punch me. But we fell in love. (laughs) It was love at first fight, I always say. But now we're best friends. I must be her best friends before she beats me up. That's just my philosophy. But how do you go from being enemies or, or at each other's throats or fighting to becoming best friends. Well, that only happens if we understand the restoration power that God gives to us for him. Because that's where it's going to begin. To be restored unto greatness is more than just restoration. Like grabbing, getting something that's not working or something that's, 
broken down and then restoring it. It's more than just restoring because there's a process that God wants us to go through to be restored for greatness. Like there's something at the end of being restored. He doesn't just save us to receive him as Lord and Savior to get us to heaven. If that were the case, we'd die right after we said yes to Jesus. He restored us and, and, and came into our lives and gave us salvation for greatness. There's a reason why he saved us. There's an end result. And it's not just eternal life because we're still here on this earth. In fact, there are more people who have yet to come to know Jesus Christ. And you and I are part of that plan that God put together. That's why we say here that the vision is to reach people far from God one relationship at a time. It's going to require all of us to reach out to people, not just one person. So as you take out your notes with me or the church app, if you want to use that, we're going to talk about restored for greatness because that's why God restores us. You know, when we think of all that we do, especially here in our community, some of you are believers and you serve in the community. You serve in various ways. In fact, last week it was uh, Police Appreciation Week. And for those of you who are uh, serving our, our island and, and the things that you do, putting your lives on the line for the safety of our community, we are so grateful for our firefighters, our first responders. In fact, can we say thank you to all of those who serve, our firefighters, first responders, our police officers. Thank you so much. Because what you're doing is you're, you're using your life to do great things, especially if you're a believer because you're caught in a difficult situation. You want to help people as well as you're relying on the Spirit of God. And when you're in situations, you're relying on His power and His strength and you're putting your lives on the line. And when God says, I'm going to restore you for greatness, it's not just for you. It's also to connect with other people. And in the kingdom of God, relationships are everything. That's what being restored to him is all about. It's, it's being restored in this relationship with God. Otherwise, we don't function well. Outside of this relationship with God, we become selfish and unhealthy. And God is all about giving us and helping us to have healthy relationships. This is what God did for us. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, it tells us, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He says, Now that you're reconciled, you now help others become reconciled to me. See, God sees relationships with such high value that he died for it. And then he invited us to reconcile people to himself, to be reconciled with one another. He set the example to restore relationships with mankind to himself, even though we were broken, even though we had hurts and pain, even though we were angry at God. He said, I'm still going to provide a way for you to be restored to me. I'm going to make that way possible. I'm not just going to toss you on the side because you're a hurt person or you're in pain or you're angry against me. No, I'm not going to toss you out and throw you away. Why? Because you're more valuable than that and I will die for you. Even while you were at your worst, I will still die for you. That's why in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul the apostle is speaking to the church in Philippi and he says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, 
having the same love, being of one accord, and of one mind. You know what Paul is saying? This is what it looks like to have a healthy relationship. And he's saying, this is what I, this is what I want you to have. In the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 5, the Bible tells us, may God, who gives this patience, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in, in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. You know what the Bible is telling us? That people are going to look to us and our relationship with other believers to determine if we follow Jesus. Not, not, not if we know the word of God, not even if we attend church. What the Bible is saying is, how do you get along with another believer? Can you love one another with another believer? Oh, why not non-believers? Because that would make more sense, right? Because I'm loving non-believers. He said, no, no, no. Because there's, there's no expectation there. But with believers, you put expectations on one another. Therefore, you let each other down, and then the relationship breaks apart. In the book of John, chapter 30, uh, 13, verse 35, says, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. By the way, we apologize about this projector. It's not your eyesight. It's going bad. We ordered a new one. It's coming in, <laughs> just in case you're trying to clean your glasses. But the Bible tells us this is the whole point of our relationship as believers. It's so that when people see our relationships with one another, they're going to say, wow, they, they follow Jesus. How do you know? Is it because they memorized scripture? No, no. Is it because they go to church? No, no. Is it because they carry their Bible? No, no. Is it because they go to Bible studies, rooted and growing? No, no, no. How do you know that they follow Jesus? Look at how they love one another. They love each other. That's the model that God uses. That's why he sent out his disciples two by two. It wasn't the words that they were speaking that was so profound and so powerful. It was that people would see their relationship with one another and think, what? something's different with these guys. We hear all kinds of different religions and all these different things, but these guys are different. What is it? Like they truly love one another. When God restores our relationship with him, he's saying, I'm, I'm going to restore this relationship because you're going to need me for each other. This loving relationship that you're going to have with one another is so that people can see that you believe in me. Paul was giving us a picture and wondering why the church wasn't spiritually maturing. And so he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. God wants us to represent him in a way that when people see our relationships, they don't second guess what we believe in. They know who we believe in because we love one another. And whenever we have this kind of relationship God brings in his peace and with his peace comes his blessing that's why Jesus could say in Matthew in the book of Matthew when he he was giving the beatitudes and kind of like that spiritual attitude and the maturity he said God blesses those in Matthew 5 9 God blesses those who work for peace for they will be called the children of God you know what this tells us it takes a lot of work to have peace peace doesn't just happen 
Because peace is not something that happens. Peace is a person. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. It takes work to keep this relationship with the Prince of Peace. Why? Because we tend to stray. Not because there's something on his part. It's we stray from him. So it takes work for us to have this peace. But when we do, we understand who we are as being children of God. And peace takes a lot of work. That's why for many people, they'd rather be peaceable. They'd rather, rather be uh, peacekeepers. They'd rather be peace lovers. Because someone who is bringing peace has to have that relationship with Christ. That's the only way we become peacemakers is if we have peace already. So it takes a lot of work to have peace. And that's what God uses to restore our broken relationship with him and our broken relationships with one another. It's going to be his peace, his spirit, his comfort. And God wants to restore a broken relationship, not just with himself, but with each other. And therefore, when that happens, and only until then, will we find true greatness in all of our relationships, especially our relationship with God. And here's how it happens. Here's the first thing, if you want to take some notes. Go to God before anyone else. You go to God before anyone else. Like you talk with God so that he can help you process through things. You, you, you pray about what's happening. Even when we go through our emotions, we can talk with God and God will give us wisdom, but we will need to ask him first. That's why James chapter 4 verse 1, it says, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. It's just that simple. Now, there's a movie that came out in the, I think it was the early 90s, maybe later 90s, called The Sandlot. Okay, I'm just seeing your reaction because you're going to smile when I talk about the movie because it's just the way it was done. In this movie, so if you didn't see the movie, I'm going to spoil it for you. If you didn't see it, it's not on me. It was 30 years ago, so you should have at least watched it. If you didn't, I'm going to give you the basic, well, I'm going to give you the whole story. So basically what happens is you have these group of kids who play baseball, and they have a field. They call it the sandlot. And if they hit a ball over the fence and it goes into a yard of this one house that has a dog they don't get the ball back because the dog is there. And rumor has it that this dog eats kids. So that's their imagination. So this new kid comes to this sandlot, and he wants to fit in. Well, they start to get to know each other, and then he starts to play with them. And then one of them hits the ball over the fence, and now they're mad because they can't play. Well, this kid, who's called Smalls, he says, wait a minute, I have a ball at home. And it's his stepfather's most prized ball, signed by Babe Ruth. Now, this kid, Smalls, he doesn't know how important that ball is. So he goes home and he gets it. Now he's like the, the guy that has the ball. I got the ball. So he said, right on. Well, you get to hit first. He smacks that thing over the fence. Everyone is cheering for him because that's his first home run. And they're cheering for him, cheering for him. And as the ball is going and going and going, he's running, he's looking, he sees the ball go over the fence. And they're like, yeah, good job. And he's thinking, no way. He goes off of first and he keeps going to outfield. 
And they're wondering, where are you going? You're supposed to turn and you got to go home. Well, he gets to outfield. He's standing by the fence where the dog is and he doesn't know what to do. Well, they all come running and they're saying, what is, what's wrong? I mean, you hit a home run. That's like the greatest thing. He goes, no, you don't understand. That wasn't my ball. I say, what do you mean that wasn't your ball? Yeah, it wasn't my ball. Well, whose ball was it? It's my stepdad's ball. He's going to kill me. I said, okay, all we have to do is buy another ball. He said, no, no, you don't understand. This is his most prized ball. And it was signed by some woman. <laughs> he doesn't know, because he doesn't know baseball. And he said, some woman? He said, yeah, someone named Baby Ruth. They're like, Babe Ruth? So now they look for the ball. They're, they're saying, you're, you're dead. You're done. There's no, your, your life is worth less than that ball over the fence. So we got to figure this out. So they try out through the home movie trying to get this ball. Risking their life, breaking their toys, even blowing up their vacuum cleaners that they stole from their parents. Their whole treehouse exploded with dust. So now it seems like everything is done. Well, one of the guys, his name is Benny the Jet Rodriguez. He jumps over the fence, gets the ball, jumps back over the fence. The dog jumps over the fence, chases Benny around the neighborhood only to come back and jump back over the fence. And now the fence breaks down, lands on the dog. So now they save the dog and now they got to bring the dog to the owner. They come to the owner, he comes to the back door and they say, uh, we, we had to get a ball, we brought back your dog. And he says, oh, you're the one who's making all that racket. And he said, yeah, um, the ball flew over the fence and we had to go get it and uh, we had to bring your dog back. And then he says this, why didn't you come to the front door and knock? I would have gotten it for you. <laughs> and now they're mad at this other kid uh, what is his name? Squibs Palador or something? Yeah. Squints. And they're mad at him because that's what they said to do in the first place. Let's just go knock on the front door. And he's like, are you crazy? He's the meanest man that ever lived. But this guy was Hank Aaron in the movie. And he was blind. And they talked baseball. But I thought they risked their lives, broke their toy sets. They ruined their parents' vacuum cleaners blew up their treehouse, risked one of their friend's lives and pulled him through a rope to go grab the ball. They did all of that when they could have avoided all of these death-defying feats by just knocking on the door and asking. It was just that simple. And I think sometimes we're like these kids in the sandlot that we're trying to do it our own way. We risk our life. We, we waste years of turmoil and broken relationships when all we could have done was go to God and knock on the door and say, hey, God, there's something that we're dealing with. Can you, can you help me? Because that's what he says. He says, why didn't you just come to me and ask? But you don't have what you want and you fight and you quarrel because you don't ask me for it. Go to God first. He wants to give us the wisdom required for where we are. He wants to restore our relationships. And he'll give us the necessary wisdom for us to find that restoration. And it is okay to vent with God. It is okay. He can handle our venting with him. He'd rather us vent with him than go to one another. He'd rather us go to him. Because then we can process it correctly. He doesn't want us to gossip about it. He wants us to go to him. 
Oh, we can, we can be a sounding board for each other and help us get to God, be a lightning rod to someone that if they share things with you, you ground it, you bring it back to God, you get them focused back on God. You go to him first. He'll give us the wisdom. And here's the second thing when it comes to restoring relationships. Always be first. Always be first. Now, sometimes it's difficult being first because you may not even know there's a broken relationship. You may not know that something happened in the relationship. You just sense that, okay, maybe that person is distant. They're busy or whatever it is. But if you know that there's something there, you be the first to reconcile. You know, we love being first in line. We love being first in the buffet. We love being first in the movie theater so that we can get our favorite seat. We love being first in church so that we can sit where we normally sit. We love being first. We love getting the first phone, the best gadget. We love being the first with information. But God says, if you want to be first, then you be first in reconciling. Because that relationship is very important. So important and valuable that Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, says, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person and come and offer your sac. then come and offer your sacrifice to God. In other words, Jesus is saying, you know, your sacrifice to God, yes. You know, that, that sacrifice to God that you're doing, that even, even worshiping him, yes. But, this, but there's a broken relationship here, yeah. You already have this relationship with God, yes. This right here is what God needs you to be doing, this relationship. Because yours with him is fine, but because of this broken relationship, it's now affecting this relationship and other relationships. So before you leave your gift at the altar, before you come to worship me, go make it right with this person. That's how valuable God sees our relationship and how important it is that he's saying, no, I don't want anything from you except that. You, you can skip that for now because that is your best worship to me right now is restoring that relationship that you attack the problem, not the person. You find time to reconcile. And if you cannot find that time and it's, it's hard for you to, to, to meet with someone, bring a mediator because they can help. And the best time to meet is not when you're the most angriest, but it's when you're at your best. Get, get to a place where you're, you're at your best. Sympathize with feelings and how someone is feeling. Hear them, listen to them, empathize, and just be there with them. You don't have to make everything uh, or approve everything. Just listen because the, the, the relationship is what is important, not proving who is right and wrong. That's why Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 tells us, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And when Philippians, when the Philippians is saying, let each of you look out not only for your own interest, that word look out comes from the Greek word skopeo. It's translated to our English, look out. And skopeo is where we get telescope from or microscope. And what that means is you're focusing your attention to something. You're giving attention to. You're, you're, you're using your vision for this singular focused attention. You're directing it here. That you're focusing on the other person. And you're focusing more on their, their feelings and how they're doing versus facts. That you're not just looking for right and wrong. And you may not even agree with the other person. 
But that's okay. You can just listen. Because when you're dealing with resentment and bitterness and anger, our emotions are all over the place. Sometimes we say things that we don't mean. Sometimes we do things we don't want to do. And so when we try to reconcile, we can admit our own faults. We can listen to the other person. And we can be that person who goes first to set that example. Jesus gave a strong word in Matthew chapter 7, verse 5. He said, hypocrite. Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. In other words, he's saying, if, if I'm going to re- reconcile this relationship, I'm going to have to, as a person who's wanting to do this, I'm going to have to remove whatever negative thoughts I have, whatever judgmental thoughts I have, whatever fault-finding habits that I have in order to see clearly. Otherwise, it'll still be there during the conversation, and I'll try to fix the person rather than to reconcile. Now, what do you do if you can't connect with that person? Or it's just, it's not, it's not going to be a healthy situation. Maybe there's a TRO, or maybe, maybe they passed away. What do you do? Well, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, as if possible, if possible, because there are some situations where it's not possible. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. As far as it depends on you, if possible. And God knows that for some situations, it's just not possible. But you can do your part and you can be at peace. Don't live with it. Don't carry it. Be at peace. And then the last thing in being restored for greatness is to value relationships more than the problem. The relationships more than the problems. Because problems will come and go. It'll happen. We'll have problems in our life. People will bring problems. We'll create problems. But God wants to bring his peace and his comfort in every relationship. And there's a price for peace. That's the price that Jesus paid for. And if, if you and I value relationships more than the problem, then we begin to learn that the problems are not the problem. Because think about it. When there's a problem, if it gets out of hand, it's not because of the problem. It's because of this one thing that we deal with. It's not the problem. It's perspective. Perspective. We all have different perspectives, so we're trying to solve a problem, but we all have different perspectives. But if we focus on the people and value the relationship more than the problem itself, easily solvable because we're focusing on the person, relationships. I came up here the other day. uh, I forget what day it was, but uh, we're going to eat lunch in the courtyard, so I came onto this side, and when I came up here, I noticed that there was a water sprinkler in the middle of our courtyard, just watering the grass, and it was about 12 o'clock. First thing came to my mind was, I wonder why we would water the grass at the hottest point of the day. I thought, you know, it would be better to water it either early in the morning or later in the evening. And so I'm wondering, I wonder why we would do that. So I sat down, and there were some volunteers and some staff, and I said, hey, do you know why we're watering the grass right now? And they said, oh, because... When the tents were up, you know, for Mother's Day, the tents were up, the grass died, and we want to get it replenished so that when we have sports camps and, and the youth camps, uh, then the kids can have a, a grassy field, and they can, it won't be as muddy if it rains. I said, okay. And in my mind, I'm thinking, but water it in the morning or in the evening. So I'm struggling with this. And I'm thinking, how do I, I don't want to bring correction because I don't want someone to get hurt. It was out of the goodness of their heart that they were watering the grass. So I'm thinking, okay, I can say, hey, maybe we should water it in the morning or in the evening. No, that's still going to hurt. 
Maybe I should ponder on it a little bit. Now, while I'm thinking, Kat Kononui, who was leading worship this morning, she goes, yeah, because, you know, they broke down the tent this morning. It took them about an hour and a half, and it was so hot, and the ground was so hot, and they saw that the grass was dying. So they figure, you know what, let's just water it right now and get the grass replenishing. But boy, they worked so hard taking down the tent. And I thought, I didn't even think about that. I didn't even think about, here you have a group of volunteers breaking down the two tents. So I turned to Kat, and I was like, that's why I need you around. I'm thinking about the problem of this water sprinkler wasting water in the middle of the hot summer day, evaporating the water, while you are reminding me that the people came up and took down these tents. So if you took down the tents, thank you very much. Thank you for taking down the tents Because it's so easy for us to look at the problem or even make one and forget about the people who work so hard to do something. If we always focus on the problem, after a while, guess what the problem is? Yeah, me. I become the problem. The problem can be solved, but I'm still the problem, so it's really not solved. So what God says is if you can value the relationships more than the problems, he'll come in and he'll solve it because he has the wisdom for it and you have the relationship, the connection with each other. Why? Because now there's value there, not the problem. And when everyone values one another, the problems become so small, so minute. That's the Old Testament laws of God where Jesus was saying, I I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. What did he mean? He came to bring relationship and it's through relationships and our relationship with God that we can follow the law. Apart from his spirit, we cannot keep the Ten Commandments. But he did say, if you follow my spirit, that is what I'm after. Why? Because I'd rather have this relationship with you and your faults and you mess up rather than you stick to the law and try to do one through ten and have no relationship with me. You can't do all these, but we can have this relationship. We can be restored. Same thing with each other. If we value one another and focus on relationship, the problems will seem to subside. That's why 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 tells us to turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Yeah, we have to search for it, which means to seek in order to find out, to aim at, to strive after, to crave. Like we're craving after and searching for peace. We're craving for that. And we have to work to maintain it. Peace doesn't just come in and then that's it. It takes work. It takes work to to stay in a relationship. And it takes work to be in this relationship with Jesus, not for the relationship. There's a difference. We don't work for salvation, but we work to maintain it. I've heard people say to me often, and maybe they haven't come to church for a while. In fact, I just met someone this morning that said they strayed away from God, but now they're back. And it, it took work to get back to God. Because there are things that we have to fight against to come back to God. But God never left. He's always there. 
He's always ready for a restored relationship. And he's always willing. And if you ever doubt God's love for you, go back to the cross. Because when Jesus was on the cross, while he is dying for our sins so that we could be connected to him, he said these words in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. They don't know what they're doing. See, when we look at Scripture, it tells us that peace doesn't just come automatically. It doesn't maintain itself. We have to maintain peace. Without peace, there's no restoration. Without, no, without restoration, there's no greatness. So what Jesus did is he said, I will do the most difficult part. I will provide a way for us to be restored to God. Why? Because relationships to God is the most important thing that he sent Jesus to die for it. God wants a relationship with you and I. He wants to restore us for greatness because apart from relationships, there is no greatness. I'm going to ask you to put away your notes and call Glenn to the keyboard. We're going to pray together. And I want to pray for us, as a, not just as a church, but even as individual families and, and, and being connected to your relatives, father, son, daughter, mother, but even for those who, maybe you never said yes to Jesus, and that's the first restoration that God wants in your life, that he's looking for this relationship with you because that's something eternal. And as we bow our heads and close our eyes, we do that so that we can focus in on what God is speaking. And if you're here today, as we pray together, and if you're here and you're saying, I want Jesus to come into my life, I'm going to say a prayer, and in this prayer, which is salvation, you're going to connect with God, and he's going to do something great with your life because you're restored for greatness, not just for salvation. It's to do great things here on this earth. So, Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you for the gift that you have given to us in relationships, first with you and then with one another. I'm sure there are some here this morning that have never said yes to you. And I pray right now that as you tug on their hearts, they would answer the call of being in this relationship with you. And as I say this prayer, and you repeat after me, you just include your heart, and you're going to give your heart to Jesus Christ. It's an eternal decision, and the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. And here's our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising from the grave to give me eternal life. Forgive me of my sins and wash me clean. Make me more like you. In Jesus' name I pray. And if you just said that prayer with every head bowed and eyes closed, if that was you, could you just lift a hand real briefly and you're just saying, I said yes to Jesus. I want to pray over you. Uh, uh, just a, a specific prayer. Okay, God sees you. God sees you too. God sees you. God sees you right there, right there. Okay, God sees you too. Okay, God sees you on this side, right here. Yeah, God sees you, absolutely. All of heaven rejoices, the Bible says. God sees you, okay. Okay, you can put your hands down. Lord, I pray your blessing over these that said yes to you, that their commitment with you is, an, is a lifelong, eternal commitment. It's not just a, a feel-good thing today. This is eternal salvation. This is for the rest of eternity, that you're building their homes in heaven, a mansion specifically made for them, tailor-made, so that one day when they go home to be with you, they will be at peace 
but be filled with all the joy that you wanted them to have. I pray your blessing over them. I pray for all of us as believers, Lord, that even us, as we go through life, people are looking to us and our relationships to show that we follow you. So I pray for us as believers that we would reconcile our relationships. And if there's anything that we have against someone or something has been done and our relationships are strained as believers, Lord, can you speak to our hearts so that we go first and make that relationship right? We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. And we all said together, amen. amen.